Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 7. Hear with reverence, hear with anticipation, hear with joy, God's word. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver, and he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But, but I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. My God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and rise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So this passage is a very unique passage. This passage, you hear a lot of pronouns, first person singular pronouns, I, me, second person singular, you, 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 you. It's very personal. It's a direct word from the Lord. And it starts off staggering. Look again with me in verse 1. It says, listen to me. Now, as I'm looking through the Old Testament, I find one other place. And outside of that, you just don't find this phrase very often. The prophets, they would generally say, thus say the Lord, and then they would speak, right? But to look at an audience and say, listen to me, hear me, is very bold, is very direct. In fact, It has divine authority. So the message is organized as follows. It has a title, Hear Me. And then we will go through this passage 
and we will see that this is actually an autobiography of Jesus. He's he's in effect coming up and, and stretching out himself in front of his audience and saying, time for testimony. I'm going to give you my personal testimony. This is my autobiography. Listen to me. And then he begins to unfold his autobiography. He says, here is my calling. Verse 1. Here is my ministry. Verse 2. Here is my assurance. Verses 3 through 6. Here is my confirmation. Verse 7. So what is our response? How are we to interact with the servant, the Christ, Jesus, before us saying, hear me? Well, obviously, the first application is, listen, hear me. So as we begin this message, as we begin this passage and we start entering into it, we see a former conversation, something that was said to one another, a a dialogue, a divine dialogue that happened prior to Jesus' physical ministry. And so he's on the scene, and he says, listen to me, and here's his calling. Now, the first thing that we can notice in this passage in verse 1 is the obvious. When someone comes up in front of the coastlands, the nations, that's code word for the whole globe, and says, listen to me, (laughs) that's divine authority. So the servant, the Christ, has divine authority. I'm going to put it as fully God. Only God says something like that. And then he starts talking about his mom and a womb and his mouth. And, and you go, who, who is this? He had a mom? He, he started in a womb? And out into this world? Who is this? Here's his calling. He's before you. And he says, listen to me. I am fully God. I am fully human. And I've been called by my Father in a mission. If you only had Isaiah, when is the last time you heard about a mother giving birth to a child and we were to call him Emmanuel, God with us? You remember that? You've got to speak up. They can't hear you. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Right. You'll hear that through Advent season, won't you? Even in the malls, you can hear it sometimes in, in, in a hymn or so. We still live in a culture where we can kind of hear the storyline of the Bible. And a virgin 
will conceive and give birth to a son. And you'll name him Emmanuel, God with us. If you want to do a study on mom, womb, birth, boy, it's everywhere in the Old Testament. Start with Genesis 3.15 and then follow that trail clear into Mary and the birth of Christ. You'll be amazed. Well, here in Isaiah 49, he's giving an autobiography and he says, I'm fully God and fully human and here I go on a mission. What's his ministry? Well, look down. Look down into verse 2 and you'll see a word ministry. After talking about a womb and a mom, now he talks about a mouth. You see that? He is describing a word ministry that has kind of a twofold emphasis. First, first notice that, that this word ministry is, I'll call it concealed. You see that? Anytime you're reading, particularly in Old Testament poetry, you'll get parallelism and repetition. And you just want to watch that. He says it twice. Hidden me. He hid me. He hid me. And so this word ministry has a concealment and a protection piece to it. So when we read the Old Testament and we're looking for the servant, we're looking for the Christ, he's kind of hidden. He's hidden in prophecies. He's hidden in illusions and echoes. He's hidden in types. And you're just saying, I don't know exactly what's going on here, but someone is here. And you just trace him and watch him through the Old Testament. It's getting closer. It's getting closer. And then you open up the Gospels and, oh, my word. Also, Paul said that he was hidden from past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to the saints. I believe that that's one of the emphases here in Isaiah 49, verse 2. That this word ministry is hidden there. But it's also protection. Once when he actually went into the womb and and, and was fully ready to come out in Bethlehem, someone actually hated him. And it wasn't right away, maybe a year later or whatnot. They're still in there. It's quite a history. But King Herod, do you remember him? Raging anger, King Herod said, Go to Bethlehem and slaughter little boys two years and under. If you want your imagination to awaken now, look around the room and you will see little boys that are barely walking, and they took their swords and they sliced them to pieces. Why would a human being do such a thing? Because he hates the servant. He wants to kill the servant, but he's, he's hidden. They took him to Egypt, and out from Egypt I called my son, and then hid him in Nazareth, until he grew up. And then even his public ministry was kind of like, don't say anything yet, okay? Not until the fullness of time. 
King Jesus, the Christ, the servant before us is saying, listen to me. Here is my calling. Fully human, fully God came into the world and now I'm protected until a moment. This word ministry had a particular timing that needed to happen and so it did. But then also notice the descriptions. He talks about a, a, a sword that was hidden, sheathed, and then an arrow that was in the quiver, hidden. So this sword and this arrow are to communicate something about Jesus' ministry, his word ministry, his mouth ministry. I take it that the sword and the arrow are used for battle, going into enemy territory, into darkness, into wickedness and evil, and shattering the enemy, and bringing forth the captives. Mm-hmm. And so this, this sword now is for near battle. I believe the connection with Isaiah 57 is this is for Israel. Near Israel. But then he's got an arrow. And this is for far ministry, right? It's got to go out there a ways. And so as I was looking at this more, I began to see to the Jews first, but then to the Gentiles, right? That's his ministry, his word ministry. But then he starts describing these weapons. One is sharp, the sword. It is so sharp, it is like a hot knife cutting room temperature butter. There's no effort to it at all. It it just slips in and slices the soul exactly the way it's supposed to. We can see this as effective word ministry. Whatever comes out of his mouth designed by God to bring forth salvation, it will happen. He is effective. Hebrews 4.15 says the word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, and is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. <sighs> what a word ministry. When he releases out of his mouth, yea, even today, and it goes right into our hearts, it will be effective. But then we look at the arrow, and it's polished, right? It's, it's as though this arrow and the arrowhead has, has been rubbed so much and polished that any blemish has been wiped out of there. Any blemish that would take the arrow off of its course, leading to inaccurate shot. Now we have a polished arrow. And it's in the bow, and he's going to shoot his words deep into our hearts, wherever we're at. Coastlands, that is to the ends of the earth. So as I was thinking about this, I I started thinking, and I even Googled it. I said, well, this word ministry started in Palestine. And when I was born from above, February 17th, 1984, at 11 p.m., I was out in the Philippines. 
And so I Googled it. 5,590 miles as the arrow travels. His word, 2,000 years ago, was put into the air, into the bow, and, and there it goes. Imagine an arrow going 5,590 miles to reach a silly, stupid sailor who didn't know him. And all of a sudden, right into the heart, into the stony heart, into a heart of deadness. And it brought forth life and hope and desire for Jesus. Word, ministry, gospel of the worth and work of King Jesus traveling to the ends of the earth and hitting a drunken sailor. (laughs) Have you ever heard of a story like that? Yep. Isaiah 49, verse 2. Has the arrow been shot? Has it landed in your heart? A stony heart, a heart of deadness and brought forth life? This message is for this auditorium. This message is for those who are listening on the MP3. This message is to go out to the ends of the earth. Here is my calling. Here is my word ministry. And now, guys, I was going to quit after that. I didn't want to go into the inner sanctum of verses 3 through 6. It actually frightened me when I started to sense and realize what was going on there. But we're going. King Jesus, the servant, is before us with his testimony, his autobiography. Let him speak. And so... Verses 3 through 6. Something amazingly wonderful is happening here. It's as though we have to take off our shoes. This is the Holy of Holies. We're going to be entering into the interior of the divine life. We're going to go into the, the Trinity and listen to a dialogue that happened From eternity past, in verse 3, we hear someone speaking to the servant. It's his father. And he says, this is your name, Israel. You're my servant, and you will glorify me. (sighs) Have you ever been in like a Starbucks or... Just a, I don't know, grocery store. And, and you just kind of come across an intimate conversation. I'm going to confess something. I, I, I love to do people watch. And I love to eavesdrop into conversations. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor and I think I get a ticket for doing that. But, but also it's just so intriguing to hear people trying to figure out problems and, and express their worldviews and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and so, but if you ever listen to an intimate conversation between man and woman and you're sipping your coffee and you're reading your book and jotting down some ideas and you just want to put in earplugs, you want to inch away. It's just way too intimate. That's what's happening except infinitely higher than that. 
He's inviting us into a, a dialogue, an intimate dialogue, where the Father says to the Son, and now look what happens in verse 4. You see it? And so he said, I have spent all of my strength. And the results are zero. I have not held back. I've done everything. The method seems, hmm. The message, the results, where is it? It's vanity. Here we have the servant in a frustration, a despairing moment. As you listen to Pastor Garrison in in the pastoral prayer, we heard the life of Jesus Christ. And he came into this world, and it's a world that has fallen and filled with depravity. And he went into it. And he was a faithful servant, right? But Luke 9, 47, who knows, maybe this is a snapshot of public ministry when he said, oh, you wicked and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? He says the words. He displays the glory And they say, or worse yet, they spit on him. Or worse yet, they call him names. Or worse yet, they look at him and call him a bastard and his mom a whore because of the virgin birth. And and you're going, how long will you give them ears to hear? I'm the second member of the Trinity. I'm in earth, on earth for them. And look at what they're doing. How long? Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 and following. He says about his fleshly ministry, I lifted up my prayers, cries, loud cries with tears. That's the servant? We're listening to a divine dialogue. And and King Jesus is talking to his father like this. But he didn't slip into despondency that leads to depression. It leads to hopelessness, does he? Look at the twist in it. And yet, or yet surely, if it's your character to write in your Bibles... If it's your custom, go ahead and circle, yet surely. Because here's a pivot here. And he then expresses his trust. He says, my God has my right and my God has my recompense. Vindication and celebration are his to define and his to deliver. And it's well with my soul, says the servant who is before you, giving you his autobiography. And then it releases into verse 6 with a huge celebration. This is what is going to happen. You will be a light to the darkness, to the nations. You will be my salvation. This will be accomplished, for thus says 
the Lord. There you have it. King Jesus, the servant, before us, a testimony. Hear me. Are you hearing him? Here is my calling. Here is my word ministry. Here is my assurance. And now verse 7. Here is the stamp of approval. Here is my confirmation. Listen to it again. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of Yahweh who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Thus saith the Lord, the stamp of approval, the stamp of success, right on the servant. You can see why, verse 4, he trembled. Because verse 7 shows a method and a mission. Do you see the method? If you want to see it up close, Mark 14 and 15. That's the Gospel of Mark, chapters 14 and 15. But here's a snapshot. Deeply despised. We're not talking anything shallow here, folks. From the heart, I abhor you. I hate you, says the world to Jesus. The one who never sinned, who came, God so loved the world that he gave his Jesus? Mm-hmm. I deeply abhor you. I despise you. When? All through his life. And then he starts marching towards Jerusalem. And he enters into Jerusalem. And then they take him away in the night. They mock him. Oh, king. King of the Jews, underneath it is, I deeply despise you. Oh, give me that beard. I abhor you. You're an animal that needs to be deadened. Spit, spit, dripping off his face. Give me your back, oh king. Laceration, 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 blood, blood, brutally killed on a cross, naked, ashamed in front of everybody as a criminal between two criminals. I hate you, says the world. Crucify him. And now look what happens. Three days later, he came up out of the grave. Even the centurion who did this to him went, surely he's the son of God. And when he came up and out of the grave and 40 days walked with humans and then ascended and glorified and poured forth the Holy Spirit, and now we see something. 
the strongest of strongest in the world, kings and princes. When he comes in, they get up, they arise, and then they bow to him. That's the mission. That's the mission. The gospel slaughtered on your behalf, raised for your vindication, seated at the right hand of the Father, sending forth the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to awaken people with the arrow of Jesus Christ, the gospel, arising and bowing to the King. And then it doesn't stop there. It goes global. A worldwide celebration is going to happen. Amen? And it's going to be a burning, glowing ball of beauty and glory, namely the reflection of God Almighty through people like you and me all over the world, nations and tribes and tongues and everyone who is called by His name. That is tremendous. And that's the confirmation. It will happen. It is happening. The servant has come. The servant, the Christ, has given you his autobiography. And now we sit in these seats, in this auditorium, and we say, how do I process that? How do I, how do I listen to him? How do, how do I do that? I wasn't quite for sure in my study. <laughs> I, I just worshipped him. I wondered, I was filled with awe, I was broken, I confessed my sins, I was restored. I mean, just all sorts of things. But I had to come up with two things so that you can leave here with something to hold on to. So here it is. Luke 2.32 and the passage surrounding that. You can just write that down. Here is an Advent message. And here is my funeral message. If any of you are wondering, what would Dan choose for his funeral? Go to this one and look at it. So Simeon is a prophet, and he's really old, and he's ready to die. But he gets this promise from the Lord that he will not see death until he sees the salvation. And then Mary and Joseph come with baby Jesus to the temple and Simeon saw God's salvation, he said. Interesting how personal salvation is. And so he took Jesus and he put him into his arms. And so he has this seven and a half pound human, fully God, fully man, and his head's right here. And he puts him right onto his breast and he just lifts up his elderly arm and hand and fingers and he just blesses God and he says, now I've seen your salvation. Let me depart in peace. And he says some things about this, quoting the passage that we just read, by the way. And look at what Mary and, what's the guy's name? Joseph. I had John. Oh, I better get it right. It's Christmas time. Mary and Joseph, listening to Simeon prophesy, and what does it say? They marveled. Application number one, embrace Jesus and marvel over him. That's an application. Don't just hear words, ink on a page in a book. 
Ask God to just open up your heart. That the arrow will just touch it and renew it and strengthen it so you see the Christ in your imagination and you just hold Him and marvel. The second application is we worship unto a mission. And so as you follow this theme into out of Luke and into Acts, you will see Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So there's a connection there. So when you're starting to read Acts you, you, you see, like in chapter 12, Peter is in prison, but a light comes into prison and, and breaks him out of prison, and now he's on to mission again. Very interesting. Or chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas, and they actually quote Isaiah 49, applying it to themselves. Our passage said of the Christ, you are the light of the nations, and they said, We are the light of the nations. It's an interesting shift in pronouns, right? It applies to all of us. And then the final part of that story in Acts 26, Paul is giving his testimony, and all of a sudden he's in the darkness. Remember, he's blind spiritually, and a light shone around him and awakened him and gave him sight. And this was King Jesus giving him light that led to a mission that gives light to others. It's a fascinating storyline. Here's the takeaway. We embrace Jesus and marvel, and then we hear the Great Commission upon us as Veritas and go. We don't just hear it. We actually go. Go into your home if you have unbelievers there. Children, spouse, Grandma and Grandpa, Mom, Dad, and begin to speak afresh this message. And then, you know how you have someone on the left and the right and front and the back, kind of a neighbors? Think about it this Advent season, taking the light that has awakened you and bringing it somehow, cookies and then a conversation, somehow, some way, and start moving out to the uttermost parts of the earth, starting with home, then the neighbors, then the workplace. And maybe you want to give more money to Veritas, and, and, and it will shift over to missions that is used to the ends of the earth. Or maybe even you hear something like this and say, pick me, I want to go to the ends of the earth. And you go with support and prayer and This is an application that ought not to stay in this room, but go into places of darkness with the sword and the arrow. Wow. The servant, his autobiography, it changes those who hear him and obey him. Let's pray. Holy Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for the the songs, the lyrics, the prayers, the liturgy that awaken our imagination and think thoughts of you and sing to you and hope in you. I want to thank you for preserving your word down through the ages. Awful people have tried to throw it in the fire and burn it. No, it's spread globally and we have it in our laps.
Thank you that we have ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart that's susceptible to your beauty. And now do your mighty work in our lives that it will create worship and mission. And we bless you in advance in Christ's name. Amen.